everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Evan. Uh, would you join me in prayer uh, before we get into the Word of God? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for the ability to constantly be in contact with you, God, that we can always lift up praises, that we can always lift up concerns, and that we, we have a, a Savior who's opened the door that um, whether we are in a very lonely and, and, and bad place or whether we're at the tops of a mountain in our life, uh, that we constantly have a God who is there for us and we're not just talking to the air or to the, the universe that's impersonal, but a personal God and Savior through uh, your son Jesus. So we thank you for the word that you have for us today uh, in James. We pray that you'll bless him, that you'll speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. World War II. Whoa, <laughs> what a mood killer. World War II, an Eastern European young boy, about 18, 19, was terrified to die in battle. And he was called by his country to the front lines where the casualties were just piling up. And again, he was just terrified. He didn't want to go, but he wanted to honor his nation, so he went. And it was terrible. There was bombs going off all over the place, planes overhead dropping more. There were tanks coming out, ambushes. And in one particular skirmish, it got so heated that his battalion scattered and left him. Uh, and so he ran into the forest to seek refuge. And he was shaking. He was terrified. He's like, okay, I think I'm going to die. I think this is it. He heard the gunshots out in the, in, the, in, the, in the surrounding area. He heard tanks. He heard yelling and screaming from the distance. So terrified, he threw his weapon down on the ground and he hid close to a tree. He's like, what am I going to do? And he, he didn't, he just started to pray. He's like, the only thing I remember is when I was a boy, I'd go to school and maybe I'll just, I'll just talk to God. Oh, Jesus, I know it's been a long time. I think this is it. I'm probably going to see you today. And I'm so, so you, just, you just, just get me ready. I hope that it's painless. And suddenly he hears footsteps. Now, if you've been in a forest, it's actually quite quiet in a forest. It's amazing how trees can absorb so much sound. So that means that these footsteps were drawing very, very, very close. So terrified, he just planted his face into the ground, into the dirt, and just was like, okay, Jesus, I just pray that I, I hope you're real because I need you right now. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm probably going to die. And as he was praying and muttering to himself, he was just expecting and anticipating the cold steel of a rifle to touch the top of his head before blowing him away. And these footsteps got closer and closer and suddenly stopped. And he heard something drop in the dirt. He heard something else drop. Confused and waiting and anticipating and nauseous, he dared to look up to see an enemy soldier who had dropped his rifle and had dropped to his knees in front of him. And this enemy soldier began muttering as well with his eyes closed and his hands out in his own language. And there was nothing that this young boy could understand, but it was clear to him that he was praying. And so he sort of sat up, possibly a little embarrassed, <laughs> and also began praying in his language. And neither man knew on either side what the other was saying, but there was one unifying factor and how they knew that they were both praying to the same God. Because each man, in the midst of his prayer, would say, Alleluia, Amen. So the other man would repeat, Alleluia, Amen. And they went back and forth like this until the end of both of their prayers, when one said, Alleluia, Amen, and looked into the eyes of the other. 
The other repeated the same. Alleluia. Amen. Both men after that had collected their belongings, their rifles, and walked in opposite directions out of the forest. It's amazing that we serve a God who is always with us, that we are in constant contact as believers with God, even in the midst of war, even in the midst of who we think is an enemy, because that's what the political system tells us, that there is something much deeper into our identity. And it's interesting that in this unifying factor, it was through prayer that each man was able to remind the other of this, that the community of God actually stretches across this entire planet. Alleluia means glory to God. Amen means it is good. It's an affirmation if you see that in your Bibles. When they say amen, amen means it is good. I affirm that. I affirm that. It's good. And they were affirming one another in the midst of the scariest trial that a human could face. Praise God. Today we're coming to a close of our Game Changers series. It's a, it's a look through the book of James. And the book of James is really big on spiritual maturity. Okay, spiritual maturity. It's just taking, from, taking you from being a child or a baby Christian to where it's like, yeah, Jesus, my God is so big and so strong and so mighty. Those are my kids' favorite song. I played it like three times on the way here. Uh, today they're like, play my God. It's the only one that George knows because he, he only knows a few words. He's like, mighty. I'm like, okay, I'll, we'll play that one again, you know. So it's in my head and it's awesome. But it's taking him from like, hey, okay, from a child Christian into, we got to adult up now, okay, because you're going to face some trials in life, says James, and you're going to not know what to do. And so I'm going to kind of guide you based on what Jesus has said and taught, what God has done, okay, in sending the Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to give us worth, to give us value. You're going to go through bad things in life, but you're going to thrive through them, and you are going to be able to change the game. And this early church did. They took heed to what James and some of the other early followers and, uh, of Jesus had said and written that you have in your Bibles here. And guess what? Here we are sitting here today because they were obedient to that, because they matured up and said, you know what? What it says here, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to be on my knees. And today that is what we're talking about as we close this letter uh, of James in this Game Changer series. We're going to find in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, we're going to take a look at a few of the imperatives that James gives us when it comes to prayer. James kind of starts with prayer in the first chapter. It's all the way through the letter, actually. If you were to read through the letter, constantly he's talking about prayer. And here he kind of does this epic, like, here's my anthem to prayer, and then he just mic drops, and there's no, like, okay, goodbye, see you later. It's just like, nope, that's it, first and last thing, you got to pray. All right, we're going to look at some imperatives of what James has to say about prayer. What are imperatives before we read through this? Who could tell me what, who did pretty good with their grammar class? Nobody knows, I don't know what an imperative is. All right, an imperative is a command. Okay, an imperative, an imperative is a command. Like if I'm like, hey, hey, pay attention, right? That's a command, right? And they don't follow it. Okay, that's okay. An imperative is a command. So it's like when a police officer is like, okay, pull over, Right? It's not a suggestion, you know. It's not like, well, maybe he's joking around, or what would it look like if we pulled over? It's not what, you pull over, right? If he says freeze, you don't like, well, when it's convenient for me, I'm going to freeze over here. No, that's how you get mace in the face, right? Um, Anyway, okay, imperative. Now, there are many imperatives that Jesus gives whenever you see things that are like, look, do this, go and reconcile with somebody. You got beef with somebody, go and be reconciled to your brother. 
Do everything that you can to be reconciled. Don't do this. Do this instead. These are imperatives. Now, for us as Christians, it is imperative that we listen. Okay, we've talked about this before in James, where it's like, what you read, well, go do it. Simple as that, at least simply said. Okay, so we're going to look at a few of the imperatives, uh, starting right from verse 13. I'm going to read uh, James 5, 13 through 20, and then we'll get right into it. James chapter 5, verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and the other should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Scroll back up to the top. And you'll find in verse 13, this is our very first imperative. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them what? Pray. Very good. Let them pray. Well, this should be an easy sermon, right? It's like, all right, well, there it is. We just pray. Pray. There's nothing actually that, that complicated behind this idea. It's not like I can say, well, in Greek, it's also pray. <laughs> okay, it's the same thing. But it seems so like, well, duh, that we just kind of miss and gloss over that. And we're like, okay, if I'm in trouble... Let's define what prayer is. Prayer is what? Talking to God. That's what prayer is. We just simply, these are like Christianity 101, right? We just talk to God. And James says, are any, is anybody among you in any trouble? Now, this word trouble is very comprehensive. It can mean financial trouble. It can mean a physical trouble. It can mean trouble with the law. You could have bills. You could have taxes. Uh-oh, I got to do those. You could have a lot of things that are on your mind, any sort of anxieties, any sort of depression, any sort of anger, any sort of lust, anything that is bothering you on the inside or outside forces. James tells us if any of those things, here's the first response for the Christian to keep you in constant contact with God. Okay, that's the whole idea is constant contact with God. The first response for a Christian should be to pray. Now, why do we not do this? Why does this like, seem so simple that we're like, oh, okay, well, duh, Evan, we can move on. This is going to be a long sermon. That's only the first part of one verse. <laughs> because in our society, as we become more educated, as we become, become older, as we make more money, if you're not like me, <laughs> you're going to become more and more dependent on yourself. We live in America, which is one of the most individualistic cultures on the planet and possibly, historically, probably the most individualistic. What does that mean? It means that I depend on me for me. I don't have to depend on anybody else here, and nor do I really need to lift up any prayer for God. Think about it. What's your first response, generally, when it's like, oh, I got an unforeseen bill. Well, I'm going to complain, and then I'm going to look at my bank account, and this and that. Well, what if it's something that's much bigger? Do you get on your knees, or do you just say, okay, well, let me exhaust all possible options. I know somebody. I have an uncle. I can get a loan. I'm an individual. I'm a grown-up. I could do this on my own. 
I'm going to rely on myself. I'm going to rely on my finances. I'm going to rely on my degrees. I'm smart. I don't need to do, I don't need to pray before I go to work, for example. I know how to do my job. Well, you're not in constant contact with God. Can you imagine if I just wrote a sermon and didn't pray? I can. I have the skills. I have the training. But what, what is that really, what sort of life with God is that? Now, you may not be a pastor, you may not be a preacher, you may not be in ministry, but that doesn't, say, that doesn't mean that we don't lift up things to God throughout our day, even in our secular jobs. Because you don't know what you're going to encounter that day. Everything might be fine, we'll get to that in a minute, but if there is anything that is troubling you, what is your first response? Is it to look to others and say, oh, guys, you know, I'm going through this thing, and it... is it to go to money? Is it to go to your skills and degrees? Is it to go to the almighty Google? I mean, that's me, like at midnight, when I'm like, why won't my children sleep? You know, that's, blink, because, you know, whatever, right? I'm like, okay, I have to do whatever Quora says, or whatever at Reddit, or any of those terrible things that, are, that don't work, okay? We go to all these other options. We go to technology, we go to all these things, but how often do we go first into prayer? Now, I'm not saying, like, you have to pray over, obviously, we know we're autonomous, we know how to do some things, we're not going to say, God, I need help tying my shoes today, so that, I don't know, right? But it's that posture of constant prayer that whenever something bothers you, it could be something in the news. I was very troubled for, like, a whole week when New York passed that law. I think it's New York and Virginia, is that the other state that passed the full-term abortion law, meaning that they can cut up a child inside of a mother's womb like the hour before it's born. That's troubling. That troubles us as Christians. That troubles us as a nation. And I saw a bunch of people going online and saying, it was this side and that side, and oh, it's politics. Why don't they blah, 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 blah. And I found myself getting caught up in that because my wife, who is a labor nurse, of course she's against that, and we're both like, oh, I know, it's terrible, blah, 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 blah. But do we actually get on our knees as churches? Do we actually get on our knees? Do we actually close our eyes and say, God, this is an injustice. We're going to look to you. We need to look. Of course, we're going to lift our voices and say something, but before that, we need to come to you because this is troubling my soul. Again, in the very beginning of James, he's like, hey, before you, you, before you say anything, why don't you be slow to speak and slow to anger? Okay, quick to listen. Kind of goes hand in hand. Listen to God first. Your first response for constant contact with God in any troubles, anything that's bothering you, is to go to God in prayer. Pray. Okay, what's the second thing? What is the second thing that James says here? Is anyone among you happy? Okay, is anyone happy? Is anyone here happy? Anyone happy? No, I'm, I'm here listening to you. I'm not. Okay, very good. I'm, I'm glad we have one bespeckled, behatted man who is happy. Let them sing songs of praise. That is the next imperative, the next thing that keeps us in constant contact with God. Now, it seems like, like so I'm, yay, until I'm sad. God help me, right? I'm glad that James says this. He doesn't just let us walk away like, okay, whenever I'm not feeling good, I have, you know, I just go to prayer. But if I'm feeling okay, I'm on me, I'm good. I could just go about my life. He actually says, no, 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 no. We're not just going to let you off that easy. God constantly wants to be in contact with you. So sing songs of praise. Have those songs in your heart lifted up. If I could share, when I first met uh, Pastor Tony, he, and you might notice this, that he had, I don't know if you know, but you walk around and sing. That's a great thing. 
No, I, maybe some of you are like, yeah, we noticed. No, he's like, when I first met him, he's like, oh, Lord, save me, Lord. And I'm like, I'm like oh, who's this guy? Is he a gifted in, in, in music? In music. I mean, in music. In music. In music. In music. Sorry. Shouldn't have used that word. Okay. But no, he was like, oh, Lord, save me, Lord. You know, I'm like, wow, he's, he's real. And then my second thought was, okay, he's Mr. Holy, you know, always got to be a pastor. And, it, you know, I get in my car and listen to gangster rap. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, because I'm cool, right? <laughs> but you know what's great is that when he does that, when anybody does that, and they pass by in the halls, and Lord, help me, it kind of gets stuck in your head a little bit. It sticks out, does it not? You're kind of like... Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> you know, no, it's in my head. It's a great thing. It means that there is, there is something that is great. You have a sense of peace that God has blessed you, and you want to extol or lift him back up. We see this all across the scriptures. The Psalms are covered with them, though more of them are complaints. Songs, that's okay. There are plenty of praise songs. Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2, for example, say this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. When we're constantly filling ourselves with praise music, with Christian music, with lyrics that are reminding us of what Jesus has done, that's what colors the view of our world around us. Let me give you an example. Back in the day when this was written, they didn't just listen to a sermon like this, go in their horse and and turn on the radio they didn't have any of that so when you heard music and singing those things would generally probably stick around in your mind for quite a while because why they're not as inundated with media today we certainly are you're going to leave here and go listen to gangster rap right for me <laughs> i don't know maybe for me I'll, I'll i'll confess something to you uh earlier this year i got caught in this terrible disease um called k-pop and I, I, I know somebody's leaving right now because he's so disgusted. He's like, no, and that's where I'm leaving. I, I get saved by Jesus at the end of the story, okay? So don't worry. Please come back, okay? I get saved by Jesus in this. No, I don't know. It was like Blackpink came to America, and it just it, it, it got in my mind, and I'm, I'm like starting to I don't even know Korean, okay? And I just started singing what I thought the lyrics said because, you know, well, that's what it's... Anyway, but it was all over my house. I was constantly listening to that. I was like, oh, man, I like when the, when the beat goes like this or whatever, right? But I realized after a while that some of my kids, uh, my, uh, like Elijah and George, like they went from singing, my God is so great and so strong and so mighty to like, Salang hey, you know, and like, and, and I'm like, oh man. And while I'm glad that they're learning another language, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm happy about that. But it makes me wonder what am I really putting out to the world around me? When they see me happy, okay, this is a kind of a theological point, but when they see me happy, are they just tying it to the happiness just because? Or are they able to see, hey, he seems to be happy because he's singing about something and it's some sort of God that. That is, that is blessing him. When the Israelites had crossed over the Red Sea, from, when they got out of slavery from Egypt in, in the book of Exodus, the first thing that they did was sing a song to remind themselves, this is why I'm being blessed. I'm no longer a slave. I am free. I am happy. I can dance. I can sing. And even the, even the, uh, the psalms of complaint, they're still singing. 
and they're still lifting up God, and, and everything is about pointing to God. And so for the Christian, we're now pointing back to Jesus. If we have these songs in our hearts, I'm not saying don't listen to your whatever you listen to, but I made it up in my mind. I was really convicted by just this one point in this one verse in the last two weeks. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what am I saying all the time? I'll make another confession. I get really into ratchet music, okay? I know, you're like, you're, I don't think, you're like the whitest dude here, like quite literally. No, I get, I do a lot of uh, wedding MC things, okay? I MC a lot of weddings. And oftentimes at the end, they're like, okay, the parents gave their money and they're leaving. So now let's crank some ratchet music and go grind on each other and, you know, things like that. So what, I, and I'm sitting right next to the DJ booth. And I'm like, oh, what's that song called? Oh, okay. Oh, maybe I'll listen to that later. You know, right? And, and those, those words, listen, start to get into your head. And like, you know, it's, I understand we want to party and bump it sometimes. That's great. I don't party like this, by the way. This, <laughs> this is really lame. <laughs> but listen, those words start to get in your head and they start to shape what, the way that you see things around you. Gentlemen, you might look at some girls and be like, mm, I bet she's a freak on the dance floor, right? Because now that's what you're expecting. Those are the things that are going through your mind. Ladies, same thing. You might be like, yeah, I want to be hot like that. When, hey, you don't have to worry about showing off to anybody. You don't have to worry about, look at how sexy and sexual I can be. Your identity is rooted in God. Your victory is found in Christ. So I don't know why, I just felt so moved to spend more time on this particular passage or this particular verse, because really, what do we listen to? What goes into our soul? And are we able to keep that constant contact with God, even through good times, to say to the world around us, no, I'm happy, not because I have a great job, not because I have a degree. Those things are wonderful, and I see them as blessings, but it came from the one who blesses me, and that is God. I'm happy because I'm free. I don't have to be down on myself. I'm free from slavery. I don't have to be depressed and stay in isolation. And it lifts up, actually, the community around you when you come into work saying, oh, Lord, okay, or whatever you're going to sing, okay? So my hope for us, when we come on Sundays and, and we let the worship team just, like, hey, we want to just cover you with this blessing. Here are some songs. And God bless them for David and Penguin and, and Chris and some of the others who are taking a break this week for, for pour, pouring their time and energy into like making sure that we walk away from here, that we're sent out thinking about, man, I want to just praise Jesus whenever good things happen. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. The next imperative we see, let them sing songs of praise. And then, is anyone among you sick? Let them, what? Call the elders. Okay, you can imagine uh, that there would have been a lot of sickness back in the day, especially uh, without modern hospitals. But I think that... Uh, James is not just hitting on like sick, like, okay, I'm, I'm sick, or I have cancer, or I have a cough, or a runny nose, which I guess are very different, right? But he's also talking about a state of the soul, a sort of spiritual sickness. Now, it's not to mean that if you have the sniffles that you're in sin, necessarily, but he's viewing it as sickness in general. The body, mind, and soul are all sort of connected here. So what is the cure for this? He says, let them what? Call 
the elder, you can see it on the screen or on your Bible, call the elders of the church to pray for them. Let me, let, and then bring the oil. Now, let me break this down a little bit, okay, because we might not know what it's talking about. We're thinking elders, like, okay, call the old people. They're going to bring oil. Am I going to call my grandma to bring Yao San? Like, like she's going to bring the green oil and like, okay, come over here. We'll anoint you with that. Like, she's not going to, right? That's not what we're talking about. It's a different oil. And the elders are a little different. Elders are people that, are, that have spiritual authority within the church. So they're the leaders of the church. Okay, so pastors, deacons, elders, uh, people uh, who have any sort of, like, authority to teach or preach. And what James is saying is, like, call them over, have, the per- have them anoint the person with oil. Generally, oil could have medicinal purposes, true, but usually it was used for anointing. Okay, it was used for anointing back in the day. What is anointing? It means to set apart. So, like, they'll anoint a priest and say, this person is going to preach, uh, preach uh, to us, okay, and, and he's set aside just for the work of that, right? So, it was some, or prophets or kings can also be anointed, okay? So, any person who's like, hey, we're going to set them aside. Now, James is saying, when you are sick, when you got some sort of issue going on that is just isolating you, whether it's a physical thing or whether it is a depression, whether it is an anxiety where you're like, I just can't today. I'm going to go off social media because, yeah, and that might be a good thing, because I just can't, I can't socialize with anybody. I just, I got all this rage. I got this anger. Or maybe I have this physical sickness. He said, call the elders. Call some of those who will represent the rest of the congregation to come in and anoint and say, I want to remind you of who you are in Christ. I want to remind you of who you are in Jesus Christ and that he heals you. Now, when we talk about healing, there are actual physical miracles, and then sometimes sickness can also result in death, obviously. Let's start with the miracles. Yes, there are times when even this church has seen miracles. A few months ago, we saw a boy who was in the pool for eight, nine, ten minutes by himself. He was four years old. He's my son, Elijah's age, in the pool, doesn't know how to swim, underwater, they dragged him out, he was blue and stiff. Okay, he's not doing well, obviously. Brought him to the emergency room, doctors said, you know what, um, it, I mean, it's like, obviously this kid is going to die. He's eight minutes underwater, he's not a fish. So the first response was for our church as a community to come together. This is not just, hey, let's sit at home and just, you know, oh, Lord, I pray. No, we came together to pray. A lot of the elders went down, a lot of the pastors went down, and they were over that boy just praying. And of course, the doctor's like, oh, of course, you know, whatever you think is going to be great. Well, he lived. And then the doctor said, okay, well, that's, that's pretty amazing because that, I've, I've never seen that, but he's going to be brain damaged for sure. Medically, I can tell you that water has gotten into the brain and that he's going he's gonna to have some sort of handicap, whether it's mental or physical. He's going to be way behind everybody else. We continued to pray as a community. We continued to pray as a church. And praise God, the next week he was in the Sunday school class running around with Elijah just like any other day. Praise God. That's amazing. That's amazing. But we may be sitting here and thinking, but what about when we do pray and we are earnest in our prayer? And we're all together asking, God, will you cure this cancer? Will you heal this person who was hit by a car? Will you heal this person? And it doesn't. And God calls them home. What then? Did we do something wrong? 
Did we not say the right combination of words? Is there some magic thing? Did, what happened? Are we not holy enough? Did we like? Did I run out of my like my my holiness? Well, it's important to understand that the Hebraic or the the the, the people group of the time that had written. Um, view life a little bit differently than we may today. See, we view life as we live, we get old, we die. Stop. After that, something else happens. But in their minds, in the early Jewish mind, life just kind of continued on. Death was an event, of course, the passing of this physical life, but they saw the soul as something that continued to live on. Now, where you live (laughs) after that, of course, depends on what you trust in during this physical life. But death wasn't the final. How do we know that this is what James is getting to? He, he mentions Jesus. He says, and the prayer, uh, just before that, he says, call the elders of the church to pray over and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. If any of you called Pastor Tony and said, Lord, oh, Tony, bring me oil. I don't know which oil he'd bring, but we'll do it, okay? Any of us will do it. There's nothing wrong with it. But just know that it's, it's, it's not the oil that saves you, okay? It's not the oil that does anything. Probably olive oil or something, I don't know. Whatever we got in the pantry. Okay, and, and, but here's what's important. With oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. The Lord will raise them up. If they are physically healed, praise God, he answered the prayer. Does he use medical people? Of course. Does he use the medical industry? Of course. How many here are in the medical industry? Or some sort of, like you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a pharmacist, you do, you're a tech or something? Put your hands up. Be proud of that. Thank you for what you do. You're actually working alongside. I know there's many more of you. I don't know. Okay. You're working alongside God to bring about the healing of people. And that's awesome. But when medical technology fails, when all of these things fail and people still are called home to die, the Lord will raise them up also means that, hey, in the very end of time, their soul is preserved. So why is it so important for James to make sure that the congregation is there and anointing people with oil and praying? Because they want to make sure that they are in constant contact with God, even through death, to remind them of their true identity, that this is not the end. There is still more to come. And we want to surround you as a community. We love you. We are the community of faith. You are the family. We're going to see you on the other side. We, we pray, and at best, you get better, and you're back next Sunday leading worship or, or doing a, a hospitality or whatever it is. Or maybe you're going to cook the Sunday brunch or whatever it is. But hey, if it doesn't work out, and that's not God's will, And we praise God for the time with you, and we're looking forward to more time in the future. But trust in Jesus always, even on the brink of death. And it brings the community together. And it reminds that person, hey, you're in constant contact with God. You will be raised up again. And if you have any sins, they will be forgiven. You ever wonder that? Like, what if I sin right before I die? Like, what if I, like, curse at somebody as I'm, like, slamming my brakes? Like, hey, and that's it? Am I going to hell? No. Now, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> I've actually witnessed that. No, not somebody dying, but somebody looking at me, flipping me off and getting a car accident. I'm like, well, I don't believe in karma, but that, that was interesting. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> the Lord will raise you up. 
And so don't worry, God is going to forgive your sins. Now there's the next part. It says actually confess, therefore, okay, therefore confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. I know that that's, that, that could be tough. Would you, do you believe, are, you a, are, we, are we a church that, that confesses to one another in our small groups, in our discipleship relationships, in our salt or, or small, like really one-on-one relationships? Are we a church that confesses to one another? It's interesting because that automatically requires a community. That automatically requires that you need other Christians around, and that is a, an actual command. Hey, because of all of these things, You want to be kept in constant contact with God in good times, in bad times, when you're not doing well, when you're struggling with something. Confess. Open up to one another. No more of this individualistic, well, you know, I just celebrate God by myself, and I do it all by myself, and I eat Haagen-Dazs by myself, you know. This is something that we do together as a community. And it might be tough because we do suffer from pride. Like It might be like, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit, but you know, I'm angry at so-and-so, or I looked at porn, or whatever it is. But actually, it's freeing. You might think for a moment, hey, I must not be a Christian if I'm confessing sin, right? What if I tell, hey, you know, I'm actually struggling with something, and you're looking at me like, oh, I thought you were some Christian. No, that's not true at all. Christians confess. Non-Christians do not confess. You realize that? If you are a Christian, you actually have the ability to speak with the Spirit the things that God has put on your mind. That is something that a non-Christian cannot do. Struggles of life, they can't. But you were given something so much more precious when you were given the Spirit of God who's bringing things out in you. Like, hey, there's stuff that's keeping you from me. I'll share uh, uh, just briefly, because some of you already know, I struggle with seasonal depression. I I don't, it just kind of comes, sometimes it's just like, oh, it's kind of a blue day and I don't know, it just kind of comes and goes, like someone just, oh, someone ran through my house. That was weird, you know. But there's other days where there is a deep, 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 long depression. There's one that I just came out of that lasted several months. And, and when I sat there, I realized uh, when I was by myself, isolated, thinking, God, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I just couldn't even talk to God. And I realized that was the trigger in my mind that I, there must be some sin issue going on in my heart. Preacher Charles Spurgeon, who's one of the greatest preachers in the English language, had said this, that sin keeps you from prayer, and prayer keeps you from sin. Sin keeps you from prayer, and prayer keeps you from sin. Do we kind of get that? When you're in sin, when you, when you have this thing that's deep down inside of you, whether it's anger or bitterness or malice or jealousy or lust or whatever it is, that's going to keep you from actually talking to God. Why? Because you're ashamed. You're scared. You know that it's wrong. Like, I read these things in Scripture, and I'm, I'm trying, but I, j- I just can't, and I don't want to go before my Father because of judgment and fear. So you just don't. And that was me for a, a little while. I'm like, man, I'm having trouble. It's like, it's like one of those TVs that like, kind of like you have to move the antenna around, and you're like, oh, there's some picture. Nope, it's gone again. But prayer keeps you from sin. So when you're constantly in contact with God, you will sin less and less. You won't desire those things. And confession is one of those things that we do. Some of you may come from a Catholic background, and you may understand it as, well, I go into a, 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 like a, a prayer closet with a priest, and I tell the priest everything. 
Well, actually, we're encouraged. While that's okay, there's nothing, as long as he's a believer, then cool. But we're actually encouraged as a congregation. James says, pray and confess to one another. Speak these things out loud. Notice these things. I had to sit down with another brother a few weeks ago because I realized that there was some sin and it was against this person. And that's what it was. And after that, I felt so free. I'm like, brother, I'm sorry. I, I viewed you this way. I was so angry and, and, and depressed. And, and there was this beautiful reconciliation that happened through that confession. So we cannot be afraid to confess to one another. So, so far, what have we learned? Bad times, any trouble, pray. Good times, praise God, literally praise him. Oh, Lord, whatever you do. Don't just booty bump, okay? Like, don't just, like, turn on all of that. And we go to God in prayer. When we're sick, when others are sick, we pray for them. And he mentions this part. This is where we're coming to a close here, but he, he gets towards the end of this message. And he mentions Elijah the prophet. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring a person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Elijah, okay, so who is Elijah? We'll do a little... Uh, Throwback Thursday here, but it's the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 17, you'll find Elijah the prophet. He is like the pinnacle of all, he represents all of the Old Testament prophets, basically. He was viewed as like, whoa, that guy is holy. He, in, in one story that you'll read in that chapter, called down, he prayed that God would call down fire to burn up the priests of all of, this other, of these other gods, namely Baal, B-A-A-L, not B-A-L-L. -L. Anyway, he calls down this fire, right? So everyone's, oh man, got Elijah, oh, prophet of prophets, and he got taken away in a flaming chariot, which sounds really crazy too, right? Everything is crazy there. And what he's referencing is right after having a showdown with these other prophets who were spreading lies to the people and saying, you know what, you don't really need God, or you could have God, but you know what, why don't you give in to the God of commerce and sex? Because those things are actually, they'll make you happy and fruitful, so Elijah is called by God to come in and say, no, actually, these are lies that will rob you of life. And, he, and, and what he does right after the showdown is he prays. There was a drought that God said, I'm going to make a drought. And God just prays. Uh, Elijah prays. And literally, it says that he's down like on his knees with his, his hands and his head between. He's like, God, bring the rain. You brought down fire. Now bring the rain. Bring the rain, bring the rain, bring the and then he sends his servant to the ocean. He's like, well, there's no rain, bro. He's like, all right, all right, God, bring the rain, bring the rain, bring the rain. We need to show the people that you are truly God. I want to show the people that you are truly God. You said that you'd do this. And he sends the servant again. And the servant goes, he runs out to the ocean. And he comes back. Yeah, there's nothing, bro. There's nothing coming. And he's like, all right, man, let me pray. And he does this like six times in a row. The seventh time, finally, there's a little cloud. I'd hate to be the servant, by the way. It's like, all right, man, you're really going to send me out there? Go, all right, crazy Elijah. going to do this. What does this speak to? What is James getting at? Why does he put this illustration, kind of an obscure illustration of Elijah, and not even the cool parts, right? There's nothing about fires, nothing about any of that. He had depression. They didn't talk about that. But he talks about this sort of constant fervency in prayer, this sort of passion, this sort of passion. Here's a question for you, church. How passionate are you in prayer? How often do you give up on praying for something or someone? 
How often do you do that? Do you really believe that God will move or not? Because Elijah was quite, he's like, no, he's, he knows. My God is much bigger than this situation. Who the heck can control the weather? Storm, exactly, from X-Men. But other than that, okay, none of you, right? Not me. But he recognized that, hey, this is something that is much bigger than, than my situation. This is something much bigger than something I can handle, and I want to I reach out to my God on behalf of this person or this situation. I've had friends that I put on, I have a whiteboard at home. For those of you who don't know, I like whiteboards. I've taught with whiteboards. I don't know. It's just, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. There's no paper. I don't know. It's technology, you know? Anyway, <laughs> so I have a whiteboard in my office, and I, put, I frequently put people's names up on the whiteboard. They're not in trouble. I'm just, <laughs> I sound like a teacher now. No, Elijah, put your name on the board. No, I pray for these people, especially those who I know are going through something. It could be the pastors here, or it could be for the lost and for those who don't know who Jesus is. And I just pray. I'm like, Lord, I just want them. Bring the rain. Bring the rain. I want them to know who you are. And I remember just being in my office, just on my knees, just 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 praying and like, gosh, Lord, please, I know that you are the only one who can bring somebody back to yourself. And that's what James actually ends with. Now, while it doesn't implicitly say pray for the lost, it says, my brothers and sisters, verse 19, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone bring that person back, the last, the last imperative is remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. If one of you should wander, remember this, that whoever turns them away, and he's talking about people who have walked away from God. Literally, the word sinner means like they're not with God at all. They're going their own direction in life. I'm convinced that we as a church need to be passionate in praying praying for things in our personal life, and also praying for those who don't know him yet. Like I've mentioned before, unbelievers, people who aren't in the family yet, they can't talk to God. They have that sin. They have that, maybe they're going through depression or, or anxiety or anger or whatever it is in life, and they got to face it alone in isolation. They don't have the availability of the Holy Spirit at any time. They can't reach out to anybody and so James, of course, implores us, like, hey, well, maybe you should go and talk to them, bring them back. But before that, pray for those people. The Bible tells us that only the, the Father can draw people to himself, meaning that God is the one that calls his children back. He's the one that changes the heart. So we know that only God can do that, but he still uses us. And we're not going to know what to say, and we're not going to know who to go to unless we are passionate in prayer. I've seen people for years, they've been on my board. It's like it got dried up there where I'm trying to erase it. I'm like, oh, shoot, I need vinegar or whatever the heck you use. And for years, I prayed, two, three years, prayed for some people. And two, three years later, they finally find a church or they come here. It took that long. There were some sins that I struggle with that I prayed for years, Lord, please take this away. I don't want this in my life. And I've had to confess them. I've had to had, have others come over. We haven't done the oil yet, but, you know, maybe that'll work. I don't know. But, but regardless, we've all prayed together. And, and by the, the grace of God, we're over to, able to overcome those things. Prayer is constant contact with God in sickness, in death, in life, in good times, in bad times. And talking to God on behalf of those who cannot yet 
Now, we are able to. Why? Because Jesus Christ temporarily, set, uh, uh, temporarily separated himself from the Father when he died on the cross. I mean, he was in constant contact with God, right? He's God the Son. I mean, wow. He's always been with God. In the very beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I mean, he's always with God. But we as human beings, we're not always able to have that access because, well, we fell apart. We ruined it. But God sends Jesus. Jesus, we see in his ministry, he's constantly talking to God. He's always he's escaping like everybody. Like, okay, I'll be right back. I got to go to the mountain. I got to just talk to God for a minute. I just need, I need to be with him. He would sing songs of praise. He would do all these things. But on the cross, he actually was temporarily separated for the first time and only time in history. He separated from the Father. He literally ripped himself apart. Why? To create an open door. That at the time that he was ripped from the Father, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was ripped. And that gave access to us as believers to talk to the Father. So you are constantly loved. You are constantly surrounded by a community of believers and you constantly have the Holy Spirit in you. So we praise God. And if you don't know who Jesus is or maybe you're like, okay, I haven't taken that step. That sounds, whoa, kind of out there. I'd encourage you to actually have that conversation with Jesus, with God today. If you need some help, if you want to talk to, well, you, you have a whole army of believers here that you can turn to, that you could say, hey, well, I, yeah, I just have some questions. Maybe I just need help praying. I don't know how to do it. It's, really, it's just talking. It's as simple as that. I invited Jesus into my heart when I was about 10 years old. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know anything about anything. I just said, God, I'm scared, and I need a friend. And that's when Jesus stepped into my life and said, okay, I'll be your friend. I didn't know my friend was the master of the universe quite yet. So I encourage you to pray that prayer. And I'd like to, I'd like to encourage us to just uh, bow our heads at this time and maybe spend some time in prayer.